0: Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Rasul Rasekh. Now, Rasul is arguably one of the most powerful voices of hope for his native country of Afghanistan. For many of us, we are acutely aware of the conflict in his country lasting 20 years and equally aware of the rapid withdrawal that occurred a couple of years ago. But sadly, the plight of the Afghan people has recently been forgotten by many. So the purpose of this conversation is not only to educate us of how his country was before the Soviet invasion, lead us through that conflict, the civil war, the events after 9-11, the withdrawal, and most importantly, what is going on now. Whether at the hands of oppressors or simply hunger and cold, people are still dying in droves. So I urge you to listen to his powerful message, share this conversation and ask yourself simply how can I be part of the solution? So with that being said, I introduce to you Rasul Rasekh. Enjoy. Well, Rasul, I want to start by saying firstly, thank you to EJ Katerson for connecting us. And secondly, I want to welcome you onto the Behind the Shield podcast today.
1: Pleasure to be here. And thanks for having me. EJ is a great friend of mine. And I appreciate you guys hope me up to be on your podcast.
0: So we're going to paint a picture of some of the history of Afghanistan and then we're going to walk through to you know really the last couple of years when we we all withdrew the allied forces withdrew it kind of fell off the radar when it came to the storytelling the Ukraine for example seems to have got a lot more airtime at the moment but the Afghan people are still suffering so I want to make sure that we kind of paint the story, the backstory of the country of Afghanistan. And so you can kind of lead us through and educate us. And then we can advocate for the people that are still struggling, even though our nations have left.
1: Sure. Sure. I'm uh, originally from Panjshir Valley, uh, Afghanistan. My childhood in Panjshir Valley uh, I remember it was very peaceful. A village with no paved road, no electricity. Uh, but before war we had peace. And uh, I was uh, young, and I uh, I was born in Panche, never left Panche till the age of nine. I used to hear a lot of stuff, good stuff about Kabul, and and, and uh, uh, you know, nightlife, and, and 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 pretty much it was just a regular uh, uh, Western city. That's how I I heard it before I went there. Uh, I went to Kabul. It wasn't too far. It was a hundred kilometer uh, from Kabul. But uh, the age of nine, when I went to Kabul, it was uh, literally, uh, I mean, this was during the war, during the Soviet already invaded. Um, and uh, I was, uh, everything I saw in Kabul beside the war, of course, there were traditional people with the burqa, with the hijab, with, uh, you know from villages from uh, outside uh, the cities they always uh, in the big cities life was normal like uh, every other European countries uh, I remember they used to call Kabul little Paris they had a fashion show what I heard they had uh, bars they had wineries they had you know just Uh, It was normal life. Uh, Even during the Soviet time, there was war going around the country, but the cities were, you know, you could see with the jeans, uh, women wore jeans, no hijab, no... uh, I see them with skirt, you know, it just... uh, But at the same time, you see a lot of people with hijab and and burqa. It was... uh, After... I think it was around 1985 or 86, things got worse while I was in military school. And you could see the rockets and, 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 you know, war is getting closer to the city. It was normal life from people who lived in Kabul I always heard a good thing uh, before the war. After the war, there is nothing good about it. It is just death and destruction. But before the war, it was nice country. Outside the city, you know, hippie was very popular. I'm pretty sure a lot of people see, uh, you know, especially Europeans. Hippies was all around the country. Cities were, you know, they had bars, they had alcohol. There was nothing... you see now
0: now educate us we'll talk about it again pre-russian invasion you know what is the the layout of afghanistan because again for uh someone who's kind of new to the country there's a there's an understanding oh it's, it's an entire nation that's unified but talk to me about the tribal element and how many different groups of people are actually in that one country
1: well if uh according to the uh, Ministry of uh, Education and uh, and other news organization, which is what I saw is about, maybe there is more than 32 languages in the country. To, uh, uh, and, you know, the biggest tribes are Tajik, Pashtun, and after that is Hazara and, and, and Uzbeks. So, and there is 32 plus tribes in the country, languages people speak, uh, they all they have different... I mean, they're all Afghans, but when, when you go to the villages, they all have different uh, tradition, slightly different than, than, than others, the South, the North. Uh, if you look at it uh, always, always throughout the history, uh, the North was more educated. They went, more, you know, people want more school than, than the South. The government didn't pay attention to the South. After 2001, when I started traveling all over South, there was villages, thousands of villages, never been a school or road or nothing. But nothing like that was up North. No matter how the, you know, the provinces are from the the city or the capital, they had school at least. So the tribe, it's, it's very, very important uh, people to know about tribes in Afghanistan. It's very important. And when you're a foreigner even asking question you need to know what kind of question you can ask not to offend them in the villages i give you one example you cannot ask villagers if they're not educated their wife's name their daughter's name and they won't give you those name, it is they, they get offended. The mother's name. So these are one of the, one of the examples. These are the kind of things, uh, which is, is you know you don't see any harm. you know, asking, in, when you do some kind of transaction or whatever kind of stuff, you ask hey, What's your name? What's your hey, father's name? Grandfather name. And when you come to ask wife or daughter or mother's name. That might not say anything to you that won't be happy, that won't give you the name, so it is this this is what an example, and we can go on from here. so
0: what about education in the north? He said there was more education was educating men and women, boys and girls more accepted then because as as we fast forward, we'll talk about you know the the removal of education, especially for young girls. so what was it like when you were growing up?
1: When I was growing up, even in Pine Shirt Valley, which is, there was no road, no electricity, just like South, nothing. And we had school, but we had to walk an hour there. And when I traveled to South, a lot of the provinces and the villages on the South, we were even worse situation the valley were worse situation than there, but they never had a school. In Panjshir Valley, I remember when I was little, we used to walk an hour to school, but there was a girl also going to school. And before uh, the Soviet time, in the villages, girls were separate. Uh, 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 classes than boys but in the cities it was mixed the universities was mixed so in the villages and in, 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 I'm talking about the villages in like a panchere the girls go to school they wear a headscarf white headscarf but in Kabul you had option not to wear, uh, wear it in the cities in the south part of the country girls in the cities, yes. But in the villages, no girls' school. The area, the like a district center, when they uh, where the schools are at, only you see boys' school. Uh, so this, I mean, what I what I saw throughout my time in Afghanistan, from the beginning to now. South was pretty much, uh, in 2001, after that, 2001, pretty much 50% of the southern provinces bordered to Pakistan they were hungry for education. Majority of the students, they all tried to get in the school one way or another. And because of technology, everybody especially the g- young generation the past 20 years and they were they were starving for knowledge so they were they went at it really hard and that generation in 20 years was the most educated gen- generation in the history of afghanistan that's how i look at it multilingual they know you know the internet basically Give him the upper hand to learn, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, it's been that way for for a long time, over forty years.
0: So going back to pre-Russian, you have some areas, as you said, with with no girls' schools at all. You know some um, some of the the interpretations of Islam you know are burqas and and some are a little bit more I get arguably westernized, as you said in Kabul being referred to as Paris, so you have a very diverse spectrum of cultures within your nation. what talk to me about when the Russians invade? What impact does that have on your nation as a whole?
1: Well, when the Russian invaded, it was pretty much uh my family uh they start fighting uh the communist government before the Russian invasion, so my family was in it way before, and a lot of them get captured killed disappeared uh my uh my brother, my cousins my uncles uh, they're all uh captured, killed and disappeared in prison. No one knows what how they got killed. But from, from my side, like people, 90% of people I knew, even the school, they look at our country as being invaded by infidels. So you have to find a way to fight these people, the invaders. But at the same time, on the other side, The communist regime painted different way. They have a different picture of calling the resistance as thugs and, you know, your name. But when I was young, this was pretty much the, I don't know how to describe it. It is just your duty to defend your country all costs you've been invaded you haven't done anything to anybody but you've been invaded your country's been invaded and and here is the religious part uh comes in uh literally the word they use jihad is is a time like this that's how you recruit young people you die, you're gonna to go to heaven. you live, you did your duty, you're gonna to go to heaven. So either way, I mean, if you participate, defend your country in this jihad, this is how at the beginning was uh, the young people, especially we were. and and I didn't need, I did not need recruitment or anything. My goal was clear. My family path was clear. My, I was just waiting to get ready, learn how to prepare myself, and go in the mountain and fight. That was pretty much from from Mujahideen side view and people I know.
0: So, speaking of Mujahideen, talk to me about Masood and uh, because it seems like in, in we we we've talked a couple of times already when you think about an individual that maybe was able to bring some of these you know, Afghans together, some of these tribes together, it seems like you know, he is one of the, the figures that was revered, as you, as you mentioned, by some, not all. So what impact did he have on the resistance against the Russians?
1: Well, if you look at the history of uh, jihad, Masoud was one of the most genius guerrilla war guerrilla warfare commander and geopolitic. He was an amazing, amazing human being. He was good at everything he was doing. At time like this, he had intelligence of every day. When the Russian, where are they going to be attacking? That's how good he was. And he was not uh, like other tribals. He was, he were, he had Pashtuns, Tajiks, Uzbeks, all the educated people who escaped from Afghanistan, uh, from Kabul, from communist regime. Where did they go? Panjshir. That's the only place they go because they know they have a safe passage. Either you stay or go Pakistan, whatever they go through there. A lot of young people stay for training and stay with Masood. Some of them leave, left the uh, uh, Masood help them through the mountain, go to Pakistan. From there, they can decide what they want to migrate. So Masood was. Uh, in contact with many many commanders around the country, not only north, Kandahar, Hillman, uh, Herat. He was in contact with all these commanders, and 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 he was very successful. The Russian couldn't, you know, they gave up. I, I mean. I was there for two two and a half years with him fighting. we couldn't stand fight face to face with Spetsnets, but ambushing them day and night was that was a tactic they couldn't you know do it I mean it was literally they had no way of winning this war in the Hindu Kush mountain because the region is, the terrain is is, is, is unbelievably unconquerable. So, group of 10, 15 Mujahideen guys like me popping out in roads and places, blowing him up, set up a landmine or, it was just how the whole thing went down. No matter what the Russian did, the next day, And it was the same thing. So that's, uh, Masoud played the most major role defeating Russia and Afghanistan. But unfortunately, uh, he was in the crossfire of politics around the region. He was a victim of politics. He was defending his country. He was doing an impressive job. Defeating the superpower, standing up against him, but unfortunately, he never uh, received political support from outside.
0: Now, why was that? Were they threatened by the fact that he was so successful, do you think?
1: Absolutely, because the game was different from day one. He was the most successful. And against Soviet, so the whole international community sees him as a, as, a, as a one of the best guerrilla warfare commander and a hero of Afghanistan. but the words never enters the region.
0: What is interesting that you educated me on is as far back as this time, is when there began to be an assimilation or, or a formation of what we would know to be the Taliban. So, talk to me about what was going on in Pakistan initially to be part of the fight against the Russians.
1: Well, when people right now they talk about Taliban fight Russians, Taliban didn't fight Russians during the ta- during the during the Russian Taliban didn't exist. Taliban never fought Russian. Yes, those people, those mooch commanders, leaders around the country, they fought. That generation is gone. But Taliban never fought Russian. These are, I mean, Taliban, of course, the Afghan Taliban are the, you know, children of Afghan, that fathers fought but not the current Taliban, some of them, but majority of Taliban uh, are Pakistanis. So there, back in the days, around the country, from north to south, east to west, every Mujahideen leaders, commanders, they were poking at the Soviet, were, you know, You can't fight them uh, face-to-face, but, you know, it's a guerrilla warfare. You have to ambush them, you know, do all those, use all those tactics. That's what they did around the country in small groups. But what Masoud did, Masoud created a very disciplined fighters. Masoud, no one could even smoke a cigarette suit did not allow anybody to even smoke a cigarette. And no matter how life was hard, and it was he had judges, he had prisons. And when 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 prisoners when, when during the fight, I was involved with hundreds of capturing. Communist regime. We weren't allowed to touch them. Let the legal system. We just treat them really good. Send them to prison if they're. That's how he uh, determined if you're a foot soldier. Foot soldier. All those soldiers, they given back then by giving five thousand afghani, given option to we'll, we'll send you to Pakistan. You can go whatever you want. Do or you can stay here. And the officers who were, they call KHAD, which is the intelligence uh, service of communist regime, those guys was held for six months just to serve their time for cooking, cleaning for Mujahideens in the mountains, you know, helping around. After six months, they were sent. And, and if they're... Uh, in, if, if, if they were involved in, 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 in uh, high rank, involved in some other crimes, they stay in prison. So it, he had a system. And no matter how many times he could attack, always the system was uh, in place. Moving from one village to another village or one place to another place, but the system was there.
0: So what was happening in Pakistan that became the beginning of what we know now as Taliban then?
1: all well, we have to go way back uh, this whole thing uh, the whole international community started asking the whole world Muslim world to support the jihad in Afghanistan. So the, especially Middle Eastern country was the big banker. So the way to do it, you have to create, you know, a lot of madrasa to train them. So it was over 50,000 madrasa was back then created, and they start uh, bringing young kids from all over, orphan, orphans, non-orphans, it's just from all over, they start teaching them. The Taliban. That's how the Taliban was born, and 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 it was way before the Soviet uh, was defeated, left the country. So when uh, when Najibullah's government fell, gave up to Masood, uh, surrender, and he was at the uh, UN. A compound, and from that point on, the next chapter starts. So just think of Masood, a charismatic leader, powerful, known by the world, he is good at everything, and he had enemies in every corner, neighboring countries. The reason he had enemies, he didn't want any country to interfere in Afghanistan. You want to be a friend? Be a friend. So this kind of... He wanted Afghanistan free and... It's pretty much like every human being, and in every corner of the world, they want elections, human rights, women's rights, everything. So he wasn't suitable for the policy of some of the country, neighboring country, and pretty much uh, uh, it was way back in in, in this. Uh, this, after the Taliban took over Kabul, uh, when I saw Massoud, and uh, right before it, they took over uh, Kabul, and the whole thing, the, the way he explained it to me, it was changed from before. I understood it was about 2 a.m. and Wazir Akbar Khan, one of the guest houses, when I sat down with him before he went to bed for about 45 minutes, and he was talking about geopolitics, things are changing, and we are not in a good situation. That's what I understood. From that point on, when I analyzed and I knew Afghan, as long as he is here, if he he doesn't have any direct support from any government, anybody, I knew things were going to be really bad. And after that, Um, When the Taliban took over Kabul, and um, uh, it was uh, the way the policy, whoever behind Taliban war, will take over in six months. So actually, it didn't work for them. They weren't happy. And uh, they saw Massoud was bigger than who he is. So he had to go in order to, for policy to go forward. So this is how the whole thing happened uh, during that time. This is my understanding. And, 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 and uh, uh, over the years, when I understood you know, how this politic works, who are the players, and I knew Masood was doomed. There was nothing he can do, but he wasn't going to surrender. That I knew.
0: Well, going back and, to oh, I'm sorry. Please carry on.
1: And that was uh, when I when I left, and I start rethinking what to do. Uh and, uh, pretty much, uh, when, uh, when he was killed and I, they were on him way before that, I don't know how he survived that long. And, uh, that was a big loss for the country.
0: So I want to go back to when the Russians, you know, were defeated and they withdrew, um, Educate me on the void that was left and the need for international support that wasn't there at that time.
1: So, when the Russian left, there was two powerful muj- Mujahideen uh, parties, which is Jamiat Islami and Hizb Islami, which is uh, Gulbuddin Hekmatyar was the, le- is the leader of Hizb Islami, and uh, 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 former uh, President uh, uh, Burhanuddin Rabbani was uh, the leader of Jamiat Islami. And Masoud, Ahmad Shah Masood was the main commander of Mujahideen in the north. In Pakistan, Masood asked all the leaders, you are the leaders, you decide to create your interim government. I am the commander on the ground. He won no part of it. So whatever happened, it happened in Pakistan. They created an interim government. And I remember... Uh, before Masood intercobbled he had big dispute with hikmatyar Hikmatyar did not uh uh wanna play the game to be the you know prime minister of Afghanistan actually he was assigned the pri- he was a assi- prime minister of Afghanistan but he had different goal in mind so he was part of the policy, the politic. He didn't want any of Massoud or anybody else. So Massoud went into Kabul, and he accused them to go in Kabul. That's how the whole thing is started. And countries, neighboring countries, start fueling it. All the you know every Mujahideen leader was supported by somebody. So the civil war chaos start in Kabul. Hikmat Yara start shelling Kabul, 3,000 rockets a day. It was pretty bad. So till they lost Kabul, Taliban took over and Massoud once again, back in the mountains in the Hindu Kush mountains. And uh, he wasn't gonna surrender, but he asked for election. He asked for peace. He was he even, I remember one time he literally got on his chopper with one of his bodyguards, one inside the Taliban in Logar province to meet with them by himself. And he captured many Taliban leaders, released them, treated them like a guest. And no matter what he did, this is not what the people who were behind all of this wanted any of this. So it was impossible for Masood to do anything else but to fight these people. They weren't accepting peace negotiation. They weren't interested in anything.
0: So then 9-11 happens here in the U.S. Walk me through, through your eyes, the kind of events leading up to that and then how that impacted your country when we sent Allied troops into Afghanistan.
1: Well, after... Uh, uh, before 9-11, he was assassinated on uh, September 9th. Uh, when he was assassinated, after that, uh, pretty much the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, the whole groups of these terrorists that were celebrating. They said, that's it. It's over. we are going to take over. Not I mean, Masood was the most powerful person. Hipped Hindu Kush Mountain North, defending himself. But who benefit from it? Every Central Asian countries, all the way to the, back in Soviet Union, they were If, if Masood fell. It was gonna fall like a dominoes: Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and it goes on. And Masoud defending his country again. The international community, whoever was behind all of this and supporting these people, believe it or not, they thought Masoud was bigger than they would thought. They Masood was literally defending Afghanistan. So they saw it basically they saved all those countries. Masoud saved them. Without Masood it was impossible. Uh so and there was another uh for neighboring countries to promote Massoud is pro-Russia, pro-Soviet, pro-all that. No. It wasn't. It was just defending his country. It happened to be the most important geopolitical location in the region. So there was a lot more to it. So this was Massoud fall into basically came into uh, a lot of, ran into a lot of problem, which was not his fault. He was defending his country. So that's how I look at it, and that's how we want, and I talked to a lot of people, that like pretty much they view it the same way, what happened. And, uh, and when 9-11 happened, the whole thing, actually, the This is another chapter, completely change. So now everybody, I mean, especially my phone was ringing. I was waiting. What is next? Until uh, we start going into Afghanistan.
0: Now, talk to me about the initial impact, and I'll preface this. Um, we talked last time as well. A lot of the special forces, special operations community, of which you know, I think one of the the very first boots on the ground were the the, the uh, horse soldiers in the Green Berets. Um, they all seem to align with the fact that training camps needed to be closed down, key targets needed to be taken out, whether it's Bin Laden or some of the other people. But then to leave again, so. I'll get to the fact that we didn't and we were there for 20 years but when we first sent these forces in talk to me about the reception that these allied forces had from the Afghani people
1: well I'm not gonna uh, say when that I went I was one of the guy who was early on went in there Uh, I was there I witnessed everything From north to south, from east to west, in Afghanistan, people actually welcomed American. For them, it didn't matter if it was a village elder or a mullah in a mosque, or a young kid in school, or a young girl or old lady. It just they basically they were reborn. The joy, the freedom, they can walk without getting killed. It it was indescribable. A lot of people, people were, a lot of operators, military forces, everybody was busy doing their own mission. But I was listening to all sides. And they were 95. This is how I experienced it the early days all around the country. Ninety-five percent of people were enjoying every single day of their life. So they it was like they were free from shackle or something. It was so desperate for, for everything. This generation had a very, very, very rough life. Every family lost members of family, son, daughter mother father and and it just it was pretty bad and they were excited and uh like i said like every soldier every person who served in that country in afghanistan they did their job absolutely with everything they they had i'm proud of every single one of them and so they got to do their job. And, and one day, you know, you, you're one place, and another day, you're another place. You just, because there was no government in place yet, you can't govern the whole country. So all these special forces, everybody that, that were just out there to chase Al Qaeda and Taliban there was no government and the the northern alliance was uh multi tribal commanders you know that were still in a, in a, in a, in a, in a different kind of mood when i always they asked me one of the question you guys americans going to leave again or are going to stay And they see the whole international community, they always, they say, I'm American, because that's that, uh, always, they say, Americans going to leave again, or they're going to stay here. Well, Probably thousands of times, I said, I promise as an Afghan American, we're not leaving. And so, that's how much people, you know, support Everything about the Western world rescued them from, I mean, they never lived a, a, that generation without hearing bombs and, and, and bullets flying around. Now, finally, they have peace of mind. Of course, there's are a suicide bomber once a week, twice a week goes off here and there. It's just like a chump change for them was they could walk day, night, anywhere. It was people were free. Listen to music, concert everywhere. People living. And so the Afghan people are always, you know, they're not lucky. They're, They're the worst luck in the world. And Iraq war started. Everything was rerouted to Iraq from Afghanistan and then they start and the international community did not thought the Taliban is gonna regroup and because Pakistan brought them back in there and retrained them and then kept them there and uh, the international community start was busy in Iraq so slowly, and, you know, if you don't have support, I mean, security in the villages, in town, people, the Taliban comes in. And then people change. The Taliban slowly keep moving in, in slowly, slowly, until they get a stronger. So at the beginning, absolutely ninety five percent of people around the country I came across uh, the way they describe it uh, they say just you uh, I don't know how to explain it uh, one of the elders in coast province the border area uh, he used uh, uh, in a way in a local term he say when you feel the most happy. In the morning, sun is shining. I don't know how to use the word the, like a poetry. It, you know, the old man was explaining, I feel I just I'm reborn. That's how happy this guy was. And all around the country, but slowly, like I said, you know, there was till the government uh, was established and you know security force were trained, that took a long time and the Taliban slowly came back and reclaimed the villages
0: now a lot of the the special forces people that have come on here like i said that initial come in you know hunt the hunt the uh main targets shut down the training camps etc but then there was a withdrawal element too what we saw was a lot of the the big army as they call it moving in and bases and A lot of these soldiers have said, if someone came into my country and started building bases, I would probably take up arms and become resistance too. So what element did that part of the strategy have on turning what were allies into enemies over time?
1: Well, this was the biggest mistake. It's from my understanding because I was a guerrilla fighter i was a Mujahideen. i was i knew the game i know how how it works this was the biggest mistake which the way it was is like the terrorists come go hit him whatever and leave the villagers who support you to to do this now the taliban they're not stay they don't stay there they leave the taliban comes in They find out, one one way or another, who helped them. A lot of this from the villagers, uh, nobody reported. Those villagers get killed for helping. Even the problem was the tribal problem goes for centuries. Even some of those people, they had nothing to do with Taliban without helping American or British or Australian. But the other tribe didn't like that person. They report him to the Taliban. Hey, he works for, uh, he was the one behind helping the uh, infidels. Taliban never asked question. They had a knife. They cut the head off. So, all the special forces, of course, they weren't happy. You just go somewhere, you you just whatever you know do your job and leave and the enemy comes back at night. So this was what was happening at the uh, at the beginning it was pretty much it was uh, uh, the kind of operation you just go out there and, and and a day or two you're done you leave the place and Taliban comes back in and 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 the villagers and the people, start understanding this is not gonna work because Taliban is going to kill us. so slowly people start mistrusting the international community. The Taliban was the uh, you know the 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 the, madrasa, the the mosque and their propaganda was out of control. And they could do this in the villages, easily. And, of course, the villages, uh, nobody wants that kind of life. But when you know you have no choice, these people, the Taliban, <clears throat> going to be coming back the next day, there is nothing you can do. You can't help anybody. So all over the country, especially in the in the the, the terrorist camp area, all those Tora Bora and the all the border area, of course, uh, it's, it's a kind war uh, affair. They are mobile. You spot them in one, you know, place. You go after them, and you just leave. There is no security to protect those villages, those peoples. So the special forces, all the oper- operation they did, I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of them. They, mm, 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 Hey, this is our job and they need to go in, take care of business and leave. But uh, this was a mistake and I don't think they had any choice other the choice and the other things I look at it because there was no security force yes there was Northern Alliance Northern Alliance without Massoud they're not Northern Alliance they're a bunch of sharks. some of these people aren't good people it was Massoud kept them together so now, Massoud is gone. They need security force. We use Northern Alliance, everybody, I mean, all the forces. I always depend on some of these Northern Alliance commanders and and, and fighters all around the country. So it was kind of a very, very difficult uh, time. And sometimes you can get angry and mad and blame it, but sometimes you look the other way and say, what were the, there were no other choice. But all this military forces, they did their job. All the uh, special forces, they did their job perfectly. Uh, and their job wasn't to you know put a security post for the village. Uh, so they go after terrorist camps and destroy it and get out of there uh, so it was it was uh actually I look at it they should have something in place to have those area the provinces secure but uh, time was tough
0: so you mentioned about, The fact that in some areas you know it was the first time that a lot of young afghan boys and girls could get education so there was a lot of good things that came out of it i've heard members of our military all the allied military talking about you know the the hospitals and the veterinary surgeons and all all the the good that was done by as you said the men and women that were actually out there trying to help 20 years go by and now there's a, there's a talk of us withdrawing. So again, through your eyes, kind of lead me through that phase, and then we'll talk about the the impact of leaving that void as we talk today.
1: So, like I mentioned early on, when I grew up in Pancher, we didn't have paved road or electricity till 2024 first time the same thing in every corner of the country i'm giving this credit to prt military Uh, they call them prt around the country they have done most of this project not the afghan government they were corrupt as hell The reason you have paved road around the country and and, and, and the school and and, and mosque and all these built, majority of this built by international community. PRT was working hard in every corner. Yes, the Afghan government was involved in a lot of projects. And it was... The money was not there. It was comes from one hand is gone the other hand. No one knew where where the money goes. And later on, we find out there was minister's brother or Karzai's family. Somehow the money, you know, it just they went to Pakistan. A lot of these people, people they got awarded the contract, they left. You know, just make easy money. It was no accountability. The. Uh, Majority of the road, the school was built by PRT and USAID and other uh, European international community, you know, help all the schools. And and, 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 uh, I don't give, I give Afghan government maybe five or 10% credit of all of that. The rest was the military, PRT, and international community was helping, doing it. The schools around the country, the girls, boys, it was packed. Universities. uh, There were more girls going to school than boys (laughs) at one point.
0: So that was the place that you were at as we progressed into you know the, the the 20 years. Talk to me then about the impact of the sudden withdrawal and the void that was left when all these allied forces that were there to protect the Afghan people were now taken away.
1: Well, let me uh, put it this way. That's a human, it's a, it's, a, it's a human nature. We always focus negative. Negativity is, is just pretty much we are obsessed with negativity. We don't talk the positive stuff most of the time. The past 20 years of international community in Afghanistan, people lived the best life ever in Afghanistan even before the uh, 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 Soviet invasion, how peaceful it was. It, it was peaceful, but no leadership to to help educate the Afghan people. So that was different. But this 20 years was different. There is a lot of good thing happening in Afghanistan. People don't talk about it. We all talk about bad stuff. So there is, Right now, yes, yes, what happened to Afghanistan when the international community left, this was I don't know how to describe it. when this happened, it's still till right now all throughout my life, I've been involved in this, trying to understand it. I came to a point yesterday, The day day before yesterday, I was talking to EJ. I told him straight up, I say, I feel like I'm in the middle of desert. And every direction I look is desert. Like Like, I have no way of, you know, direction which way is right, which way is wrong, and I know which way is right, but I don't know how to which direction it is. That's how I feel. That's how I feel about the Afghan people. Uncertain future. In 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 the hardship they're in. And um uh, I'm I'm sorry I I went off uh, the uh, the question I, I
0: apologize. No no don't apologize at all. So we talked about all the good the schools the roads you know the the fact that you've got so many women being educated the the security the happiness that that one gentleman felt when he you know like you said the feeling of the sun rising in the morning. So so much good was done, but you have this this group of people kind of lurking on the outside wanting to seize control again of your country. We withdraw the Allied troops from Afghanistan. What? You know, talk to me about that shift and, and the void that's left today.
1: That shift, that void, pretty much set Afghanistan back 100 years, just like that overnight. The hope, the future, everything has gone dark. Just turning the light off at night, that's how it ha- How people feel, how I've seen it. Well, like I said, I, don't, I do not understand the international community. According to Cigar Report, almost over $2 trillion was spent in that country. Life lost international community invested in that country, built up military best military security forces Afghanistan was on the right path. yes, corruption was the problem. every country uh, goes through from at uh, the beginning and everything was going the right direction but Whatever the policy was, there is no explanation the way it happened. I don't think anybody can explain. You just after the whole. I'm. 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 I'm literally. I'm talking about the international community. All of them. They need to answer this question: Why? How it happened? You have everything in your palm of your hand. You have security. You have the whole country, yes, you have a resistance, which is the the Taliban fighting. But how could you lose all of this overnight? When I talk to some of these generals, some of these commanders, they just don't understand. say, we were asked to stand down. Just why would it just it, it is it is very very uh, uh, difficult for me to uh, to figure out who's at fault here. It's not just one country. It's forty nine countries. I international community, NATO. Everyone is in there and no 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 one you know oppose no one say anything no one did anything just pick up and get out this is one of the uh, area it bothers me it wasn't like the afghan military was I mean believe it or not they were trained by the best they were patriot. I don't know if if the international community knows how many Afghan soldiers ANA was killed in the past I mean, before taking over the past year and a half, before that, a lot. At one point, and in, 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 in the first quarter was twenty eight thousand. How did they die? They didn't receive ammunition to fight. So this, the the Afghan security force. I mean, the, the, when you go higher up, they're all corrupt. Majority of them, majority of them. But the soldiers, they were—they did everything. They gave their lives. And 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 and. Uh, still. I talked to probably some of the commanders hiding, special force commanders, Afghans. If basically. Sooner or later he's they're gonna be get caught and killed. And sometime I talk to them and they don't understand. Uh, and, and and sometime they ask me, say, so what are all those uh, friends we have, you know. Australian, British, American—you name it. You know the people they serve with, work with. I have no answer for them. So they did their job, and 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 they did it absolutely with everything they had.
0: Well, I know a lot of those men and women feel so much guilt about it as well. You know because. I think it's it's it gives them some um, satisfaction that they know in their heart of hearts that when they were there they did make a difference. But that mission that they were told they were a part of, you know, one day we're in, the next day we're not. And I hear this from so many people in uniform. They they were disgusted the way it went down, and now they look back when the Taliban has retaken certain areas that they fought for. What was it all for? you know and and again like i said they did good while they were there but there's that real sense of betrayal from the men and women some of whom watched their afghan you know allied fighters die their their american british australian new zealand wherever they were from they they lost lives they lost limbs they brought back trauma and then you know again the door just slammed shut and it's not about the conversation of should we have tried and concluded the war in some way of course no one wants to be at war forever But the way it was done, like you said, just cutting the legs off people from from both sides, that's the the thing that jars not only with the military here, but obviously with you as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The same. uh, Some of these uh, security guys, military guys, I've known them, believe it or not. When they talk to me, for the first five minutes, I can't even... Uh, control himself. They're disgusted, and and I, I always tell them. I say, "You did your job, man. Just uh, whatever happened happened. There's nothing we can do. I mean, I've been in it all my life, and probably." Right after the Taliban, I was the, the only person completely, I devoted myself, I'm leaving, and I'm going to the front line. I'm not coming back. That's how every veteran, every person who served, that's how I felt, they felt. I remember one of them told me, he said, you're the luckiest bastard. I said, what do you mean? Because you're Afghan-American, you can go out there and do... Uh, one second uh, you can go out there and and, and and do something. you know every country everywhere they have laws you know you can't go to other countries and you have to follow them. very strict rules but I'm African American. so I can go fight terrorists or help people fight terrorists so, it it, it it is for 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 I'm pretty sure uh sooner or later these all of these people they start they're gonna come out and 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 they're gonna raise their voice
0: well, I know that's what you're trying to do is rally people together because as you said it's a multifaceted issue, you've got all these nations that were there initially to help, then there was a withdrawal you had trained fighters that everyone would hope would be a resistance but they laid down their arms you know you had corruption or money given to leaders that should have i'm assuming provided ammunition and arms to these fighters that never got down to the people that needed it before we get to the call for action talk to me about afghanistan now you know paint the picture of what is happening to the women in afghanistan what is happening to the poverty, the starvation, the, the the winter that is coming. Let's kind of uh, illustrate the the trouble that so many men, women, and children are in, and your country at the moment.
1: Before the question, uh, that, uh, answer that question. After we'll, we'll draw in Afghanistan, uh, I went to Tajikistan right away. Uh, from Tajikistan, I uh, the border area, I witnessed. Uh, the The first winter I'm just going to give you a little glimpse of that and we'll talk about Please. Uh, this one it was mass of refugees just the same thing was uh, you know you see the Kabul airport it was the same thing was at the borders of Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and the, uh, if people tried to keep them away because the border were all closed I was getting report, during that winter hundreds of, thousands, uh, oh, oh, hundreds of thousands of people moved from all over the country, came up north, so they can cross Uzbekistan, get out of the country. But the border was closed. So there was, in the morning. I used to get report, and they used to send uh, f- uh, 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 footage of all these refugees living in in, in a worse condition, and uh, they uh, they show 15, 20 children, uh, uh, infants. They during of uh, uh, the you know either they uh, die of hunger or the mostly the cold. It was up in those area is minus five degrees it's cold it's windy it's bone chilling so i was asking what? Uh, is it, uh, how many children he said sometime every morning we bury 10 15 20 just children forget about the elders and women others and and in an afghan tradition when somebody pass away there's a funeral, there is people, feed people, there's all of that out of the window. All they did is one person take the body, go dig a hole, and bury them. People cannot afford to eat, forget about having a funeral. They used to do it like 10 15 at a time in the morning because people help, the ground is frozen. It was day and night. I'm talking about just uh, three, four provinces up north. Hundreds of people used to die overnight. This is the one I knew. God knows how many hundreds died every day. I didn't know. Nobody reported. So I'm going to come to a question now this winter. I talked to a lot of people every day, the same concern. Is the hunger and cold is going to take a lot of lives? Yes, the international community sends support, but never reaches. What I hear, uh, because when I was in Tajikistan, literally, I started working to find ways how to get the hum- uh, you know some kind of humanitarian office or something, we can get, you know, send food out there. Even I spoke uh, with the Tajikistan government actually asked me, if you can do one thing to try to support and get help, like food, blankets, so we can, we are a country. Uh, they say we do help, but we don't, we're, we can't. So, if you do this, we will help you with Red Crescent and all that, get it across to these people. I tried very hard, and 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 EJ tried very hard, is still working on it to create some kind of uh, humanitarian office or something so I can go out there and send these food out there. So, I was working. So, the, because of that, I was promising a lot of families, they said, we were working, trying to get put in there, in the past, a few months, the same thing, every winter they calling me, and asking me, what are we going to do now, say, keep praying, there's nothing I can, do, I'm working, I'm doing everything, to, I was hoping to get some kind of, uh, humanitarian, relief or somebody so I can go out there and uh, actually the Tajikistan government will promise will help in every way to get these donations the support for the refugees across the border if you want, if you can work it out so nothing's happening yet but the reason I mentioned this the same thing I'm getting a lot of call everyone I talk they're concerned about winter. They're predicting a lot of people are going to, the same thing as the year before, and this year is going to be more because of people can't afford to eat and forget about the having coal or wood. It just, it's just a lot of people living below. I think uh, the last report I saw, is over 60% of the country below poverty. It just barely making it. So these are different people uh, having different holes in the country, but I don't know how much they're accurate, but it is very bad. And I want whatever happened, happened. But right now, I will appreciate the international community to focus to save the rest.
0: Now, what about all the indigenous people that helped the allied forces? You know, I've had some on on the show, Fahim Fazli and Wali Taslein, but they, you know, they made it to America safely. There's a lot of people that helped, you know, the resistance, the allies, however you want to phrase it, when we were there that were kind of left vulnerable after we left what are you hearing about some of these uh, these families that were supporting the allies now that we're not there to protect them anymore
1: well every single one of them i'm talking to them i know them from way 2002 either they were in the government or not in the government and they fully we call them Northern Alliance. Back in the days. Those people, the, the individuals, the leaders, individuals who helped the Taliban throughout the years because they were all involved. That's how it, and they survive and they live always, but soldiers, people who serve. I don't know if you guys saw the footage. They kill them like a flies. If one day they allowed me to, you know, put on YouTube, I put YouTube uh, videos, no human scenes in their life, the way they, you know, the way they kill. It just, it's it's—they're vicious. And just uh, uh, one of my security guy, he's hiding. His son, I believe he turned 21 and he, before uh, the Taliban took over, he joined the police for a few months before the, uh, uh, the, the Taliban took over. And that kid was hit with a machine in his head. He was in coma, and and, and and they took him to Pakistan, everywhere, couldn't get help. And when they brought him back, Taliban found out he was with the police. They dragged him, he was in coma, put him in the back of the truck, put him in prison. He's in prison now. Yesterday, I get a message, I say he was, uh, pro- probably he's not going to make it, because there's no medical attention, there's... What is the the charge? He uh, uh, joined the police and police issued him pistol. He have to bring a pistol. This is exactly the word of the Taliban. And his father have to go through different channels to find out, pull out his record, which is everything is in the Ministry of My. They left everything for Taliban. So it shows he was never issued a pistol. But they don't care. Because he is Pansheri from Pansher, and he is a threat. Even he is in coma. I'm talking about right now, I spoke to his father yesterday. So the the, the People who supported the international community, one way or another, they will be captured and killed. There are more people who served in the NDS uh, or uh, MOI uh, or uh, ANA. One way or another, they're hiding between police and NDS and, and ANA. It was almost seven hundred thousand forces. And they are all out there, hiding.
0: Let's talk about that then. So, obviously, we withdrew. You had all these people that fought valiantly when they were in a Northern Alliance. Some of them have been trained by Allied forces. But you mentioned about the kind of dropping of arms. You want to rally these people back together again. You want to take back your country. And as as you mentioned in the last time we spoke, even some of the people that were kind of brought into Taliban, you know, and there's obviously poverty and and lack of education and a whole bunch of uh, and elements of of facets that contribute to that. You've got Pakistan and you've got Afghanistan. So talk to the Afghan people about coming together and reclaiming their country.
1: Well, as an Afghan American and and I I mean that's my birthplace. Okay? That's my country, my birthplace. As an Afghan American, my advice to Afghans are you're brave people, you've gone through unbelievable harshness throughout your lives especially, you know, I'm talking about this 40 years of war in that country and they need to there is two ways they need to ask the international community once again to undo what they did That is, I can tell you if the international community wants Afghanistan, I can make it happen in a week. It's still the Afghan people as a hope. And if that don't happen, the other way is civil war. There is no other way. But there is more chance of peacefully... Fixing this problem, the Afghan people need to rise in every country whatever they are they need to ask for help to rescue Afghanistan from this terrorist organization so this is I believe this is the best way, if the international community wants to do this is the best way to get that country back. And if that doesn't happen, Afghanistan is is a country predator around the world is waiting to use them again. Mark my word, what I'm saying is, to the Afghan people, don't let your country take over by terrorists. Right now, they're claiming they're completely 100% Afghan is under control. No. Maybe 95%, 98%, 99%. But the resistance still alive in the mountains of Hindu Kush. And in every province in the country, pockets of resistance, they're just waiting for their right time. Who are these people? The same soldiers, the same soldiers, International Community Special Forces trained them throughout the years. The same people. And, and if that the international community don't do this, help the Afghan people and get their country back, create an interim government. And pretty soon those vultures around the neighbors are gonna invest on these people invest right now there is no one is helping resistance no one is helping resistance so it's going to change it's going to change and i would like to see the international community act as soon as possible do something before this country becomes a super terrorist country it's not that far, right now 27 terrorists come is established based in Afghanistan from Pakistan they all move out there so it looks very 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 bad right now but it's still I believe it still is a hope and the Afghan people still, no matter what happened, they still believe you've made a mistake and they'll come back after these terrorists. That's how they look at it. So, the other, if this doesn't happen, and that country is gonna go back to war. Civil war. It's gonna be really bad ones. And the resistance the people are gonna be fighting them. Uh, they will kill everything in their path because of some of these people lost everything. And and, 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 and it's gonna go back to Civil War. Like in the 90s. Even worse. So. My advice to the Afghan people. No matter which. Who you are. What tribe you are. If you want to free Afghanistan. Raise your voice. No matter where in the world you are. If you can go out there, do something, raise your voice, ask for help. And this can happen. If all these players want to do the right thing. And no no one wants war again in that country. And right now, earlier when I mentioned I feel like I'm in the middle of desert, same thing. The whole people in that country don't know what to do, where to go. And they're waiting for slow death. And uh, hundreds and hundreds of young activists arrested, gone. No one knows. Uh, majority of the females who participated on those early days, uh, they want to die or be free and they were on the street. And majority of them are no longer around. And uh, what well, the thing is, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the national community hears some of these every day, but I don't understand what's happening. But like I said, my message to Afghans are raise your voice, raise your voice. That's all you can do at this point to so ask for help, get our country bank and sooner or later like I said there are going to be those vultures they're going to jump in and then use these fighters use these people and another civil war and who's going to die those poor Afghans again the same people been getting killed left and right for four decades It just, for different reasons, wars. So this is where we add, especially on, 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 on the question you asked, that Afghans are people who love democracy, wants to get their country back, have a peaceful life, make sure, raise your voice. And that's all I can, I'm not encouraging anybody to go out there and blow yourself up, kill somebody, no. Let's find ways to get this help and peacefully get these people. That's one way, and another way is war. It's a war is pretty much the next very uh, option for, for the Afghan people. And no matter how much I hate this terrorist, I don't like to see war again in that country.
0: Well, I hope that this not only is a call to action for people, you know, in Afghanistan or, you know, Afghans around the world as well, but also the rest of us, you know, it was kind of that, that chapter was slammed shut. I hope that, this conversation has educated people listening as much as it has myself. I mean, you've you've painted a completely different picture and I think that we do need to revisit, like you said, whether that's diplomatically or whatever it looks like, to not just remove Afghanistan from everyone's consciousness. So I want to let you go, but before we do, is there anything else you want to add before we close out?
1: Uh I, I had a few things to say, but right now I completely, <laughs> uh, it's not uh, coming back. Once again, James, my message, I'm going to repeat it again. To the international community, to every single person who served, please, if you're American, Australian, British, you, uh, whatever, you serve whatever level, you need to raise your voice. Ask for help for Afghan people. But right now, right now, I'm asking the international community to save Afghan lives during the, this winter. It's going to be harsh. going People are going to die, a lot of people, especially young, infant, infant, because of cold and hunger and whatever they can do i mean they receive help in the capitals but nothing goes in the provinces people
0: really needed it i just want to thank you so much for sharing everything that you have today on here you know we want to get this out to as many people as possible we want to empower the civilians the you know the the veterans of the time that they spent in Afghanistan and maybe feel empowered to do a little bit more, even if they're not even in uniform anymore, but also obviously the Afghan people around the world. So I want to thank you so much for coming on here, trusting me with with this message and uh, being so generous with your time today.
1: Thank you very much, James. I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to raise my voice and ask everyone who served I'm right behind you, whatever you wanna, any way you you can help these people in, in Afghanistan. Raise your voice, whatever. I would love to participate in any meetings, anywhere to get help for Afghan people, what's happening to them. And once again, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to raise my voice.